Welcome everyone, you're listening to A Healthy Obsession, the weekly podcast covering soccer culture from around the world. My name is Adam Thelwell, the show is brought to you by Small Gold Soccer. And today we are off to Los Angeles, California to talk to Lindsay Rojas about LA's new women's professional soccer team, Angel City FC. Lindsay is going to be talking to us about what it's like to be involved with the club from the ground up. We're going to be talking about everything to do with women's soccer, as well as supporter culture in Los Angeles. We're going to get into the show now. We appreciate everyone listening. Cheers. So starting off, you're from Phoenix. I think you said originally, yeah? Yeah, um, I actually, I was born in Washington State. I moved to Arizona when I was about six. And Mm. so I was raised primarily in Queen Creek, Arizona. Well, and that's that's super specific as well, because I don't know how long you've lived in LA, but Queen Creek's kind of on the come up now, but it wasn't probably very big when you lived there, I'm guessing. Oh, no. Like the shopping center that's there now, the Harkins movie theater that's there now, those were non-existent when I was there. I think, you know, the high school, the middle school, that was primarily it when I was growing up. And now every time I go back home, there's something new. Yeah, for sure. I haven't been out that way in a long time. The last time I went out there was probably about three or four years ago, and it was just starting to kind of bubble. You know, a lot of families moving out that way to uh, like Queen Creek and Santan Valley, but it seems to be on the come up still. Yeah, yeah, it's growing. It's growing really fast. Most importantly, I think, you know, the question is, do you miss Phoenix and Arizona? I, I miss not having traffic. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do miss that. Um, I would say though that overhand in LA, I can do a lot more outside. Mm. Um, like I, I think, you know, sports was obviously like a big thing, you know, growing up, but I primarily played basketball because it was an indoor sport and my sister played soccer growing up, but that was, I mean, it just, it got too hot. (laughs) And it seems like, since I've lived in Phoenix, it seems like the trend's reversing now, where I remember the first few years I lived there, that everyone kind of wanted to go and live on the coast, right? Because California's this big draw, and it's a great place to live. But now it seems like it's going the other way, and like everybody's coming from California to Arizona in the last like six months. We're seeing like every other license plate at the moment seems to be from California. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I went to school at Arizona State, and... I mean, most of my classmates were not from Arizona because I went to the journalism school in downtown Phoenix. And so, yeah, most of my classmates were from California. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of did the opposite thing where I came out here. It was not really planned, but Mm. it worked out that way. So it was great. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So how long have you been in LA now? I've lived in LA for five years i think five years nice so what's your background in soccer so you said you played basketball when you were younger how long have you been into soccer or what was your introduction to soccer i guess is the right question yeah absolutely i mean i'm actually kind of you know more new to soccer than i think a lot of supporters are Mm. um i didn't really get into soccer i mean other than going and watching my sister play you know when she was really little Mm. um I didn't really get into soccer until I met my then boyfriend, now husband. And he started because we actually met when we were working at a newspaper in Northern California in Chico. And so we started going to San Jose earthquake games all the time. And then we went to 
the very first, my very first U.S. Women's National Team friendly versus Ireland at Avaya Stadium. And that was my very first taste of women's soccer in particular. And then after that, I was like, we got to go to Canada. We got to go to France. We got to go anytime they come to California, we are going to see them play. Nice. And so, I mean, that was it. I mean, we always, we've ever since I had my first taste of a supporter section with the Quakes, I mean, that just kind of, I mean, not being from California, it really felt like a home away from home for me. Mm, definitely. So yeah, so you went from, you just got a little uh, a sampler and a taste for it. And then all of a sudden it was uh, game on. Soccer, soccer seems to have that impact on people. Oh yeah, I think. And I, I mean, I, I feel like I say this to everyone, especially like our new members in Rebellion 99, because we have so many supporters who joined us who haven't really, you know, been a part of a supporter experience in so long because California hasn't had women's soccer in, in so long. So I think explaining a supporter section or explaining what it's like to be there in that atmosphere, it's not really something you can explain. It's mm. just something like you have to be in it. You have to help build it, that culture for you to actually understand how powerful it is. So we'll talk about Angel City in a minute. So I think you have a background of going to LA, LAFC games. And there's a lot of people that listen to this that are in the UK or somewhere else in the world, but are probably curious as to what you just alluded to there. What is a supporter section like an American soccer game? Because I think American soccer culture is obviously blossoming, it's growing, but there's probably a bit of a misinterpretation around the world of what that culture is like. So how would you describe that? I mean, it's loud and proud. That's for sure. Um, I think for me, it was just a place where you could go and be the rowdiest type of sports fan possible. And everybody there is doing the same thing as you. And nobody looks at you funny. You can yell at the refs as much as you want. I've got some really bad stories about that. <laughs> and I think it's it's really just... To me, it was an elevated way of being a part of the game. Mm. It was knowing that the impact that our supporter section was having on the game, that made it even more exciting. Knowing how loud we were, how distracting we were, how motivating we were, that, you know, made or broke games for LAFC and, you know, for any, any other team that I've been in a supporter section for. And I think being able to be in that kind of atmosphere during a game like that's that's not something you can get from any other sport in america or maybe even worldwide i think um i i just think it, it was it, it's just a it, i kind of tell everybody it's just a more elevated way of supporting a team with your whole body and your whole soul and i think that it's it's physically showing your team how much you back them. So I think, you know, and I know definitely in America, it's way different than, than in, you know, Europe, especially. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, uh, I think with LAFC, um, I actually was the first membership director for um, the 3252. Um, actually the first female director for the 3252. And I was, I was honored enough to actually be there as 
3252 was developing what the culture for LAFC was going to look like. And they were using a lot of European models in how we wanted our supporter section to look, how we wanted the safe standing section, um, the chants that we did, the choreography that we put into it. Um, being a part of, you know, that whole experience was, I mean, it really made me as passionate of a fan as I am today. So it was, it was something that I wish any any passionate soccer fan could really be a part of. And you mentioned there being the first uh, female, uh, I think you said you were the chair of the, the board for the supporters group for LAFC. Uh, how do you find uh, in LA in general for, for LAFC and, and it's kind of a bit of a boys club maybe as supporters clubs around the world. How, how have LAFC um, promoted inclusivity and equality and do you see a much more female representation in supporters groups just in your own network now in 2021? I mean, I think it could always be better, um, you know, like especially in the MLS. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely found that there were times where um, it was harder for me to push things forward when, you know, my male counterparts could push things forward way faster in the mm -hmm. 3252. Um, but I think, you know, I think that they gave us every opportunity to be as involved as we wanted to and to also represent ourselves as much as we wanted to. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, as soon as LAFC kind of came around, it was, you know, primarily just male dominating. Mm. Um, but I think the more, you know, the more seasons that we got through, and now we're going to be entering season four um, shortly, more of the women kind of started coming forward and like kind of taking ownership of their team. And that was really exciting to see. And really, all the men were very, very supportive of that, letting the women be on the capo stands for the games. Like, that was, that was really exciting. And it wasn't just on, you know, International Women's Day or anything like that, or, or just, you know, um, you know the, the days just for women. Um, and so I think that was, you know, that was really, really nice to see. Um, and I think that honestly was one of the reasons why I was kind of fighting to bring NWSL to LA because now we're in an opportunity where mostly females are, you know, running the supporter group. So it's, it's exciting to see that transition. Yeah. And I was curious to obviously Los Angeles has got two major league soccer teams. So is there been support from both clubs? I know there's no direct affiliations between LAFC or LA galaxy and angel city, which is going to be the new women's team in LA, but have both teams kind of come together? Is there any, or is, that, is that a little bit of, a, of a idealistic thinking that the two can join together and support a new venture as one? I mean, I, I think that the front offices of the teams are both, you know, in support of the women's team. Mm. Uh, I think the supporters are a bit divided. I think that's, a, you know, kind of when we get into like the different cultures of the different teams, because the supporter culture for both teams is drastically different. Um, and, you know, the supporters have very different backgrounds as well. Mm. And I think... I, I think that the rivalry between LA Galaxy and LAFC supporters really kind of, I mean, it really made it tough for Angel City coming into this and establishing their supporter groups and their supporter base, really, because the supporter atmosphere in Los Angeles is, it's very polarized mm -hmm. just from 
the MLS rivalry. And, you know, I'd like to think that, I mean, before Angel City was ever announced, I was always hopeful that we'd be able to separate that. Um, But we're, you know, we're seeing it's a bit harder for some people to do than others. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can imagine. It. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not surprising, I guess, that soccer fans uh, <laughs> and their club allegiances who expect everyone to sing uh, songs together overnight and get that together. It's probably going to take a little bit of uh, elbow grease from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll it'll take a little work, but I think that I think that we'll get there. And I think uh, we're in a unique time in this pandemic right now. So I think mm-hmm. I've I've just been telling all of my supporters that it might take a season or two for us to get there. And, you know, that's okay. So, so what has this been like? It's a fascinating subject to me because it's such a unique uh, story to football globally that in the States, a team is created, a club is created way before they're even going to kick a ball. And I find that whole dynamic very, very interesting because LAFC did such a good job of it, right? They went grassroots, the community engagement was on point. So what is that like now in women's soccer, the game's growing again exponentially. What's that like now where um, a team is basically making something out of nothing? What are those efforts like? I mean, that's, it's kind of tricky to answer that in the, because I think that had we not been in a pandemic, this would be completely different. Mm. I think this, this, the, I think the, what's becoming a norm of establishing a team a year or two or three before you even kick off, Mm. um, is becoming a little bit more of a norm. Um, but I think doing it in the middle of a pandemic makes it really, really different because, you know, for example, going back to LAFC, you know, while our stadium was being built, while the Bank of California Stadium was being built, we were still going to the parking lot and doing drum and chant sessions for eight hours every weekend, you know, a year before we kicked off, before we had, you know, our coach and before we had any players on our team. So we're kind of in that same place now with Angel City where we don't have any of that, but we can't really get together. So it's, it's been really tough doing everything virtually. And I mean, I, I would say that rebellion 99 is super lucky because we have been able to engage a lot of our members through virtual watch parties through, you know, happy hours through game nights that we have. Um, we also just opened, you know, our rebellion 99 clubhouse account. And so we're having conversations in there, um, with journalists and with just our supporters. And so we've been very creative in trying to find ways to engage our community. And it's kind of bizarre to think that we actually haven't met a lot of our members in person and we might not be able to meet them in person until closer to when we actually get to kick off. Hopefully hopefully later on this year when more people get vaccines. Um, But I think from the club side, I think they're also kind of, I can, I can imagine that they're struggling with the pandemic too, uh, because they can't be at the stadium with us. They can't be in a parking lot with us right now. So they, I think are really trying to do, so many other things virtually and a lot of them don't work out 
But, you know, it's nice to see that they are trying to still engage with us, their supporters and their supporter groups in a time when we probably would have been doing something very different in person um, to help the club succeed right now. So it's, it's bizarre. (laughs) And just to back up for anyone listening that isn't familiar. So how long has the club been announced and founded and what did that look like? Yeah, the club was announced last July of 2020. And we actually, I personally was actually notified about it a week before the announcement um, because Julie Ehrman, the president and founder of Angel City, actually reached out to us through our Instagram account and asked to meet with us. So we did a virtual meeting with her. She told us we brought NWSL to LA um from our movement to bring nwsl to la and that was just kind of a life-changing moment right there um but then from then on we've just kind of been trying to partner with angel city and them partner with us as much as they possibly can to learn more about the culture because a lot of our front office is not actually from football backgrounds Mm. Uh, they're from you know business and tech ventures and Mm -hmm. so soccer I mean, sports in general are kind of new, but soccer is very new to a lot of them. So really, it's just kind of working side by side with them on what is a supporter and what is supporter culture. And like I said earlier, it's something that's really hard to explain to somebody who's never been a part of it. It's something you just feel when you're there. So, you know, that's definitely been kind of one of those growing pains of explaining to the front office like what supporters do what what supporter culture is going to look like um in a time when we can't like show them on a regular basis like this is all your supporters right here and this is how it's going to sound so it's it's been it's been crazy and the club draw some like drew some big attention right because they've just got a bevy of uh, different celebrity investors involved in the team a couple that i read off was uh natalie portman serena williams so what, what do you think the draw is for some of those individuals to get involved you mentioned there's other kind of heavy hitters involved from the business backgrounds and tech backgrounds so what do you think the draw is in not only the team but also the nwsl for some of these individuals to get involved I mean, I think that the nature of us being in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, I think it was just kind of natural for us to have more celebrities kind of tag on and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, put money into the league. And I think that's really great. I also know that a lot of their inspiration to back Angel City came from the, you know, equal pay, equal treatment push from the U.S. Women's National Team Mm -hmm. and them just really fighting for what, the NWSL players in general kind of have been fighting for for quite some time of we're you know we're doing the same work we want to we want to be on TV more we want more news coverage we want we want more we want everybody to be able to see our games mm-hmm. and that i think is something that our ownership was paying attention to And they wanted to really emulate that kind of fight in what Angel City was going to really stand for and live up to when it was announced. And so that's, that's, I think, what a lot of their motivation came from. Do you see more of this expanding across the U.S. now? Because obviously a lot of markets have already got an NWSL team, but do you think that this will be something that we see more of a trend emerging that 
maybe investors or whether it's monetary shift into the women's soccer? Do you think we're going to see more of that over the next decade? Oh, yeah. I, I actually think ever since Angel City kind of started this trend, we are seeing more of that. Um, I mean, we have other, you know, more high profile investors tagging on to like the courage and the spirit. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's really exciting to see that because I think, especially from our perspective of just trying to bring NWSL to LA as Rebellion 99, our, one of our other goals was to really raise awareness for the league in general. Cause mm one thing I actually found even just by bringing the two stick banner into the North end at LAFC games that said, bring NWSL to LA. I was surprised at how many people actually came up to me, MLS supporters and didn't know what NWSL was. Interesting. And so, you know, I think just raising awareness for the NWSL, I think the more kind of celebrity ownership that gets involved, the higher they can really elevate the league in general. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And that's, I mean, that's everything we really could have hoped for us WOSO supporters. So it's really, it's really cool. And you mentioned that you took a banner into the ground. We've got a great photo, which we'll share of you with this banner. And it was talking about bringing NWSL to Los Angeles. Why was that important to you as an individual? I think for me, um, you know, early on when, you know, my husband and I were going to Canada and then we went to France for the Women's World Cup, um, you know, right before we left for France, I, you know, I kind of just looked at him and I was like, why do we have to travel all the way around the world to see these badass women play? Right. Like we, we live in Los Angeles. We mm -hmm. should have a team here. Like mm -hmm. of, of any state of any city, Los Angeles should have a team. And I think that was when, you know, right before we left for France, we just made that banner and we were like, this is what we want. And being in supporter sections, we know how powerful just like banners and TIFOs are. And so the first day we brought that banner into the North End, so many people were also equally as excited as us about it. So it was really well received. So many people agreed with it. So many other people want to take pictures with it and hold it in the supporter section. And I think that was my very first like indication that this was going to be bigger than I imagined. Um, and so it was, it, it got big because <laughs> Natalie Portman and, and Julie Ehrman and Karen Nortman, they all saw the banner and um, they were crediting Rebellion 99 with, with Angel City coming to LA. So that was, that was really exciting. But um, I think for me, when I got my first taste of like the U.S. Women's National Team and kind of saw and felt what they were fighting for on the pitch, it was just different than MLS games to me, mm -hmm. or even the men's national team games, because they were, they were in essence fighting for things that I and many women go through in our personal lives every day. And so to me, going to a U.S. women's national team game is much different than going to a men's national team game or an MLS game, because mm -hmm. the, the, the women on the pitch, they're, it's more than a game to them. It's also their platform where they're raising awareness for equal pay and equal treatment. And, you know, it's, it's just something that I think speaks to a lot of, 
a lot of women, a lot of people in general. Mm, And for me, I know that's something that I want to teach my kids, my future kids, the value of when we do take, cause I mean, let's face it, our kids are going to be raised in soccer. Um, and so that's, those are lessons that I want my kids to see. And I know a lot of our supporters have said they want their kids to experience that and to see that and to know that women can do everything that men can do. And there shouldn't be a treatment difference based on your gender for that. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. And we're seeing now as well, a lot of the European powerhouses have added women's teams to their um, to their squads over the last two, three, four seasons from Barcelona, Manchester United, Juventus have all added it. And they put significant resource behind it. And we've actually seen quite a lot of big named US national women's national team players move over to Europe, which is very interesting. And it, it looks like it's going um, the European model is now really jumping on, on the train of uh, promoting women's soccer. I'm interested to know why, when Angel City was formed, why there wasn't a direct affiliation with one of the major league soccer clubs. And is there much of that in major league soccer where major league soccer teams would have a women's team as well? I don't think that it's actually as common here. Uh, to have the affiliation. I mean, we definitely have Portland, the, you know, the Timbers and the Thorns, um, or the Timbers Army and Thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, um, or Riveters, my bad. Um, I think it's not as common here. And I think that especially when it came to Angel City, we, I think for us as supporters, we really wanted a team that could really stand on its own. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't really have to rely on the men's team to thrive. Yeah, good point. Um, and so for us, we definitely believe that any women's team can stand on its own. And we've seen that in the NWSL and how much it's growing. And so I think, I think definitely partnering with men's teams is, you know, that, that definitely is, that's great for any, for any team that can do that. I also think that in a city like LA where the the men's team rivalry is so polarized, mm. I think it was probably the best bet to try and get as many people to support this women's team as possible was to not affiliate it with a team. And we're still we're still hoping that's the case. I mean, they're obviously going to be playing at the Bank of California Stadium. So there is already kind of a little bit of a tie with LAFC and some of their imagery is kind of LAFC. I think we as supporters are still hoping that they're going to be disconnected from LAFC Mm. just because, I mean, we don't, I personally don't think that a women's team needs to have the same branding as a men's team to gain traction, to gain support, to gain, you know, ticket sales. I think that it can do it on its own. So you and your, your husband, obviously, just from hearing your, your story here, is you guys are massive proponents of this happening and, and a catalyst for getting this team started. So there's always a, an interesting dynamic between the front office of a club and the supporters because of cultural reasons and different interests, right? One is trying to run and run and maintain a business and the other is they're out of passion and love and both groups are to a certain extent, but one is they have different goals and uh, different ways of doing things. So 
how is that now, how is that dynamic now between the two and how you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but how is that culture kind of unfolding as you grow and conversations and the pandemics made it really difficult. So what, what's that been like now, just kind of watching that unfold from a cultural standpoint, but also just for yourself having been there from the ground floor? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a learning curve for everyone right now. Mm. Um, I mean, our, our front office isn't, you know, they're not super well versed in supporter culture or what supporter groups do or really what a supporter adds to a game too in person. So, you know, having those conversations is, you know, difficult mm -hmm. because it's easier to just show the front office what we can do and what we are going to do. And we can't do that right now. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the tough part. Um, you know, we've been working with them heavily. I think the other thing that is, you know, kind of difficult for them to understand is the independence that supporter groups have to have from the front office. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, we are unpaid volunteers essentially for our supporter groups. We don't get paid by the club. We do this all out of the love and passion that we have for the game and for our team. Mm -hmm. So for them, that can sometimes be difficult for them to understand a little bit just because I think because a lot of them don't have backgrounds in soccer and they haven't seen what their supporters are going to do for their team yet mm -hmm. I think a lot of them sometimes they they want to do projects and ask us to do projects and sometimes we have to say no <laughs> because you know that's kind of out of bounds for what we're supposed to do as a supporter group. And at the end of the day, our responsibility is to make sure that our members of our supporter group are well represented. They're happy with what we're doing and they're going to be super excited for what we are going to bring to the supporter section. So, I mean, as we love our club and we're going to, you know, love our team when our team is actually established and named, but we're kind of not there yet. We don't have a team. We don't have a coach. And so I think our FO is really, I think their wheels are spinning a little bit, trying to come up with like projects and things that they could do to incorporate us. Mm. When at the end of the day, we just want our coach and we want our team. And then we'll kind of take it from there because we're, we're very self-sufficient and we're really kind of, we motivate ourselves with the work that we're doing. Um, so I think sometimes when we are carrying out our own projects, like for Rebellion 99, they get a little, um, they, they kind of want to know how they can get involved. And I think sometimes it's just understanding that sometimes the front office isn't going to be involved and we're not going to be involved with everything that the front office does either. And that's, you know, that's really the basis behind like the independence of supporters groups. So it's yeah. a, it's been a learning curve, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And definitely the hardest time maybe ever to start a football team in the last 12 months anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, so, so what's it, what's it been like just the reception from the community at large in Los Angeles, but also um, what's the plans for community engagement from the supporters group, but also from the club as well, moving forward and kind of looking forward to actually starting the season and, and when you can actually get back in person, it's going to be easier, I'm assuming. But what's that's kind of looked like as far as community engagement so far? 
Yeah, I mean, community engagement. I mean, actually this weekend, we have a small number of our supporters who are going to help um, with kit packing for downtown women's center of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to the stadium this weekend for that. And, you know, those are just like some small initiatives that we can do. We are doing some like drum and chant practice sessions where we're just workshopping some chants that we want to bring into the supporter section. Mm -hmm. Again, we have to have very limited numbers of people who can be present for those. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think right now we're doing a lot of virtual things. Like I know on rebellion 99 side, we're trying to find ways that we can utilize our, you know, Instagram live and our clubhouse now to really just have more communications and conversations with industry ex experts, with other soccer supporters on what they are looking for in angel city and in their supporter culture. So those are just kind of conversations that we're having with our community. Um, but we also understand too, that a lot of it is going to change when we can be together in person. Cause what, what works now is not going to work in the physical world. We, I think we really understand that. So it's, I mean, it's tough to engage cause I mean, it's everybody's virtual. Everybody's through a screen like we are right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so really we're just trying to continue to find that, that fine balance of being able to engage our community, keep them active. We have a bunch of watch parties for, you know, the challenge cup coming up. Um, so we're, you know, that's usually where we engage most of our members is when we're watching soccer virtually. And I just can't wait for that to transition to when we have watch parties. I mean, we're already looking for community venues to host our watch parties at, like, are they going to show the NWSL? Do they have a patio? Are they going to allow drums and, you know, people yelling like in this restaurant? Mm -hmm. So those are, you know, those are some of the community things that we're doing. We do host fundraisers. We have, you know, made it a point and us, you know, the leadership of Rebellion 99, we've decided that on our website, we would like to constantly have at least one piece of merchandise that donates funds back to a community organization. Nice. And we also do want to be more community, you know, driven and activated. And I think that, you know, beach cleanups or, you know, packing Thanksgiving meals for Skid Row, like these are all like, you know, kind of things that we should always be doing. But we're also going to be looking for other opportunities in our community to make sure we're always involved from a Rebellion 99 standpoint. And Angel City is also you know, getting more and more involved in the community too. And they're inviting us to be a part of those things, nice. such as, you know, this kit packing event this weekend. Very good. It's fascinating to see that all of this is happening without a ball even being kicked. It just shows you how powerful a vehicle soccer is for uh, a force of good. Yeah, absolutely. I think really nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think for Rebellion 99, this is, we were doing this before Angel City was announced. So we're kind of, I mean, we've absolutely elevated what we are doing and the capacity at which we can do it. But I think we are kind of continuing to do what we've, what we've always been doing is just kind of helping our community and raising awareness for, for women's soccer in Los Angeles. Yeah, so before we finish up, we didn't really touch on it specifically, but just describe a little bit more exactly what Rebellion 99 is, because as you mentioned, it came about before Angel City came about. So what, what's the, the base and like kind of the, fun, the foundation of where Rebellion 99 came from? 
Yeah. So, I mean, last year, like I, I mentioned before the World Cup, uh, we just made one banner that said, bring NWSL to LA. We took mm-hmm. it to an LAFC game. Everybody got really excited about it. Um, we took it to France with us, got pictures under the Eiffel Tower with it um, that, you know, got some attention. Um, and then when we came back, we just made it a point to continue to bring those to every LAFC game. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, we were taking them to WPSL games. We were taking them to USC and UCLA games. You know, we were just trying to not only raise awareness for what the NWSL was and the fact that we didn't have it here, mm-hmm. but we were also wanting to do what supporters do, which was motivate the, you know, the female athletes that we do have in Los Angeles and in Los Angeles County. So whether that was girls games or whether that was collegiate games, we kind of wanted to be there just to let them know that they have support and they have backing and that we are also fighting to bring this team to Los Angeles for them because I mean, they're the future of the league. You know, we have so many incredibly talented athletes at USC, UCLA, all of these colleges in California and for them to not have a next step in their backyard in the professional league that just, you know, that didn't sit well with us. So I think, I think that was really, really cool. And just seeing their faces when we would bring the banners out to them, they wanted to take pictures with the banners as as much as we wanted to take pictures with them. So really it was just born out of raising awareness for what the NWSL was. We, you know, we, we met so many people who had the same vision as us to bring NWSL to LA. And then when Julie called us, uh, and let us know. We then transitioned from a movement to a supporter group, which was always going to be our plan. Mm. We weren't going to be a movement for forever. Eventually, the movement was going to succeed. So we were happy that it did. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that phone call must have been very exciting. It's just like uh, you've you've almost got when you're describing it to me. It's almost like a, a viral marketing campaign, which is like around a social movement, and it's all like now you get this phone call, and it must must have been a crazy feeling of like holy shit is real now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, holy shit was definitely <laughs> the feeling. Um, I think for us, I was just like, oh, you know, I saw her name before because. Meg Linehan like tweeted her and said, Oh, is, is NWSL coming to LA? (laughs) So I had seen her name before, but I thought that maybe she was just wanting to have a conversation about like how plausible it might be Mm. or like what we would want in a team if it were to happen. But no, she straight up said it's happening and this is, this is what we're getting. So it was, uh, it was way better. Yeah, no, def- definitely. <laughs> so it's like not what you were expecting, but yeah, you got the uh, the jackpot. And I think now just more and more of these platforms, as you mentioned, therefore, uh, I've known over the years, uh, many uh, NWSL uh, female players that have just not, they've not had the opportunity to make a career out of being a professional soccer player. So the more these opportunities pop up so that they are it's uh, an opportunity for young females to make a career out of playing professional soccer. It's just fantastic and long may it continue and hopefully we gain as much momentum and as much support as possible absolutely couldn't agree more awesome so remind everyone when is the kickoff for the team when will they actually first play the first games next year right yes 2022 uh so should be april 2022 i believe do you just have like massive uh like 
not anxiety but like just this feeling of like oh i can't wait because it's, it's so far away but i mean the time kind of flies right but it's like you're doing all this work for the team but it's not like you've not done it yet so that first game is just going to be a bit of a bit, bit of mayhem <laughs> i yeah i fully anticipate to not remember everything uh that <laughs> happens that day but yeah. i i think yeah you said it best it, it really is like time is going so fast and at the same time it's going so slow yeah. because we're doing so much but we still have a year to go. So it's it's just, we're just crossing our fingers and holding on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's, it's exciting anyway. A minimum, it's gonna be a, a journey. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right, so so before we let you go, what's all the, the good handles, social media, website, and all that kind of stuff where people can follow the supporters group, the team, NWSL, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is rebellion99.com, uh, number 99. And uh, our social media is actually at NWSL underscore LA. And that is actually derived from our movement to bring NWSL to LA. So oh, cool. we just kind of kept those handles for the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can find us rebellion99 on any social media, rebellion99.com online. Very cool. What? Why 99? Uh paying homage to our 99ers Ah. yep fair enough i like it all right cool well uh we appreciate you coming on thank you so much for your time it's been super interesting and uh we'll be following the journey thanks so much adam thank you that's the end of today's show i want to thank everyone for tuning in and checking out a healthy obsession big shout out to Lindsay for coming on the show we'll be back on tuesday myself and tom for the weekly show and we'll see you all again soon cheers